Romans, please, chapter 5 again, and we're going into chapter 6 today. Going to review a few things from chapter 5, and then I'm going into chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to just go verse by verse and make explanation. I just felt it was the best way. I've said it before, these are some of the most controversial passages in the Word of God. Also some of the most misunderstood passages. A lot of folks have read them and just bypassed them. But if there's ever chapter Romans 5 through Romans 8 have got to be some of the most critical passages essential to the Christian experience as these chapters are. I'm talking about essential to your experience this morning. I want to talk to you some more about grace reigning in your life. We'll just read that verse in verse 21 of chapter 5, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. Woo, hallelujah. By Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is He your Lord? Yes. Ah, is He your Lord? Yes. Once you say it, then grace reigns. Grace reigns. <laughs> grace reigns. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. We're going to be looking at four passages in Romans. We've already looked at chapter 5, in which I'm going to review a few things there this morning that are essential as we lead into this sermon today. But in the messages coming, we're going to be dealing with grace reigning through righteousness, this particular righteousness and how grace reigns. And we're going to look at four passages in chapter 5. Grace reigns through justification. Justification is imparted righteousness unto us. Grace reigns through sanctification, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Grace reigns through righteousness. And this is the righteousness that is established in our life in chapter 5 by justification, chapter 6, 7, and 8 through sanctification. Then we're going to look a little further down the road at grace reigning, a little further in Romans through election. You're here because God chose you. Not in some manner that annihilated, disregarded, or in no way took into account your personal liberty of choice, your personal freedom of choice. I am one that believes that it is something that is evident in a very practical way in our life every day and, and is certainly evidenced in the Word of God that the will is free to choose. From the very beginning, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, He laid before them life and death. The choice was theirs. Throughout history, in the Old Testament again, you'll find it time and again, Joshua said, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Moses, set, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Elijah brought him on Mount Carmel for a choice. There's always a choice. Everything 
We may be conscious of weakness. We may be conscious of pressure. When we're in it, when the hot box and two paths are before us, uh, we may be conscious of the devil's tempting. We may be conscious that we are weak. We may be conscious that, that, uh, that it, it, it is our flesh is pulling at us. There are several factors that may be involved, but we are also conscious uh, that I have a liberty that I can choose uh, which way I want to go. I can make a choice. Again, I may find myself weak. I may in all of that, but I can still say, I want this way. I want this path. I want this road. I'm going to go this path or that road. So I'm conscious of a liberty of will. And I do not believe the sovereign God in his election discounted or eliminated that liberty, but that's taken him to place. And we'll get that later. Romans chapter 12 will deal with that which comes by presentation. And we'll deal with that later in a message. But we're dealing with grace reigning through righteousness, particularly now as I review in chapter 5. I want to say, I want you to notice, first of all, if you will, here there was a, a somewhat of a, a contrast, but, but not an exact uh, uh, contrast, if you will. Verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. Now the very opposite of sin reigning unto death would be righteousness reigning unto life. The opposite of sin would be righteousness. The opposite of death would be life. And so the exact contrast would be that as sin is reigned unto death, even so might righteousness reign unto life. Uh, that's might what, what we would have expected, but that's not what Paul said because it wouldn't be true. It is not such that sin, as sin reigned unto death, now righteousness comes and righteousness reigns. Because you see, righteousness for us uh, after sin, after coming under the dominion of sin, after coming under the mastery of sin and death and living under the law of sin and death, uh, there was no way for us to be righteous. There was no way for us to jump ship. Do you understand what I'm saying? That once sin's got a hold on you, it's got a hold on you, buddy. And you need a deliverer. You need a savior. You are unable to save yourself. You are unable to break the chains. You are unable. Once you've given yourself to that, now sin will master your will. Now sin will master your flesh. Now sin will master your path. And it will take you down a road further than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you longer than you'd like to stay. It will do that. But I will tell you, what came to us was not so much a sense that righteousness came, but the Bible said that grace came to us, that we received abundance of grace, and what grace brought was righteousness. In other words, God couldn't give us righteousness directly because we were under sin. There was no righteous deed that we could do that would eliminate the sin in our life. There was no righteous act that you and I could obey or a righteous command that we could obey or an act that we could do that would eliminate the sin in our life and break the bonds of sin and the chains of iniquity. In other words, an act of obedience doesn't make up for an act of disobedience. One doesn't cancel out the other. 
Your obedience to God doesn't cancel out disobedience to God. Once you disobey Him, disobey God, something's got to be done about that. Something's got to be dealt with. So God couldn't bring righteousness to us without mercy. He couldn't bring righteousness to us without grace. He couldn't restore us to a path of right unless He showed favor, unless He took pity, unless He reached down and said, I will love them. I will have mercy. He had to do something righteous on his part uh, so that he could show mercy to us and we could receive it. So grace reigns. It's not that righteousness reigns so much, but it's grace reigns and it reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. Now I want you to note here the righteousness that is presented to us the grace and the righteousness that was presented to us in chapter 5. Give me a moment and hang with me because I want to get to flow. It's important that these things are fresh in our mind as we go into chapter 6. He begins the chapter by dealing with righteousness. uses a different word. These words are found. They're related words, just righteous, right, justification. They're all justified. They're all related words throughout the book of Romans and they're used abundantly. The emphasis all throughout Romans by the Apostle Paul is righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. Grace is there too. Faith is there too. But the faith and grace are means to an end. Glory to God. God didn't show you favor because you were pretty. God didn't show you favor so you could just shout and say, what not nice. God didn't forgive you so you could just run around saying I'm forgiving he put you back on a path that you should have been on to begin with he put you back on the place you left he restores you back to the place you fell from we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God you fell short but he brought you back up to speed oh glory to God you were falling short but God put you back where you need to be and grace is what made that possible He begins this chapter with talking about righteousness. In chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore now, being justified, made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about we have access into this grace wherein we now stand. And he said we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Then he goes on and talks about those privileges and blessings of justification. And then he gets down how this justification all comes through Jesus Christ and how was that possible? And he begins uh, to to give us a a little comparison here. And and the whole idea throughout this passage uh, is the idea of righteousness uh, relative to deeds, uh, relative to actions, uh, transgressions, uh, offenses that have been committed. uh, And then God is going to justify. God is going to restore you to a place of innocence. You committed sins. You committed offenses. You transgressed against God. So God is going to do something about that. He is going to pardon those sins. He is going to forgive those transgressions. He is going to wash away or wipe away all of the iniquities and the sins that you have committed. What a wonderful thing that God has done. And I'm going to tell you something. He wipes away more than you realize. The Bible said that if we say we're in, we walk with God but we're in sin, we're liars. 
liars. We do not the truth. But he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, yes. He said a verse or two before that, he said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Yes, sir. I'm going to tell you right now, you never confessed near what you did. Your confession wasn't as long as your transgression. No, sir. You transgressed years. You confessed in a few minutes. Come on now. You had years of sins. You had a whole hand list of iniquities, a handwriting of ordinances that went against you. And in a few seconds of time, with the Lord, forgive me. With God, I'm sorry I've sinned. With I repent. Dear Jesus, can you have mercy? Oh, God, can you wash away my sin? In a few seconds of time, the Lord took care of 20 or 30 years of iniquity. I'm telling you that's grace and that's favor. Oh, that God restored you in that moment to righteousness. You were on the outs. You were a criminal and he again made you just. You were outside. He brought you in. You were against the law and he brought you in so you're now innocent. You were an enemy. He made you a friend. You were a bastard. He made you a son. You were without God and he brought you in to his marvelous light. What a transformation. What a gift that God gave you. You became alive in God. Your conscience started working again. Things that you hadn't felt bad about, now you do. Your life flip-flopped and what you once hated, you now love. The people you couldn't stand before, you now enjoyed the presence. And the people who you used to like to be around, now you don't want to be around them anymore. Oh, yes. The words that used to come out of your mouth quit coming out of your mouth. I mean, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Oh, glory. Behold, all things are passed away and all things are become new. Your life was turned around all because of the grace of God. And all through this chapter, he deals with transgressions, acts. He goes on to tell us how that one act led to a bunch of acts. He talks about how the one act of disobedience by Adam produced an effect and an influence in the world where many people became sinners and the, and the amount of transgressions just grew, multiplied millions and billions. Imagine by the time Jesus Christ comes to die at Calvary, we talk about the power of the blood. Can you imagine the countless numbers of sin? If we make it something, it's even easy for our, our, our little calculators my little calculator here this morning if a year was 300 days 300 days and, and, and you sinned you know we'll just give, make it easy let's just say 20 times a day you did more than that your whole life was filled with it but 20 times a day 300 days out of the year that would be 6,000 sins in one year 6,000 sins in one year if you did that for 10 years that was 60,000 if you did it for 20 that was 120,000 
It was probably more like 120 million, more than 120,000. But if it was 30 years, it had been 180,000 sins. Now multiply thousands, and that's one individual. Take one individual with even 60,000 sins and multiply it by 100, and you've already got yourself up to 6 million sins. That's just 100 people with 60,000 sins, and you've got 6 million sins to take account of. That's 100. That can happen in one generation. Only 100 people. Multiply that by 4,000 years before the Lord has come to Calvary. My, my, my. We're already up into the billions and the trillions and the zillions of sins that have been added sin on top of sin. And yet the blood is sufficient. He is not only the propitiation for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world from beginning to end, from the time of Adam to the time of Dan Woods in 2021 and years yet to come, what there may be, the blood of Jesus is able to wash away my sin. One act brought and multiplied thousands of acts, millions and billions of acts of sin. But Jesus comes and he does one act. He first lives a righteous life and then he commits one act of righteousness upon the cross. He offers his life. He gives his life to God, a sacrifice for sin and that one act of righteousness because of who he is. Here is the God-man laying his life down in obedience unto the Father, but it's not a forced obedience. He said, I lay it down. I want to lay it down. I choose to lay it down. I'm doing it. He said, I give my life and Father loves me because I'm willing to die for my friends. I'm willing to die for those all around me and he does all of this this one act and he does upon that cross it is enough it is enough to, to make an atonement we don't have to have a, a, a 40 billion acts of righteousness to take up for 40 billion sins when you consider the quality of who died when you consider the nature of the one who hung upon that cross when you consider when he hangs suspended between heaven and earth we talked about in our Bible studied this week uh, Jesus said and I if I be lifted up from the earth uh, and he was talking about the cross uh, when you he said when you have lifted up the son of man uh, he said then you will know that I am uh, he said when you lift me up on that cross uh, you're going to know that I'm more than a man uh, you're going to know that I'm more than just uh, some Johnny come lately some lasting prophet uh, or some preacher that came down the pike uh, you're going to know I'm the I am oh glory to God and he said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. He said that that one act, that crucifixion, it's going to do more than atone for your sins. It's going to draw you. It's going to shine a light out into the cracks and the crevices. You're going to come by and you're going to look and you're going to be in your darkness, but hang him there. Oh, hang him there. You're going to get a revelation. As you look upon the cross, you're going to see the one hanging and you're going to 
be like that thief that said, we deserve to die. He deserves not to die. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom and the glory and the power of God is going to illuminate your mind and draw your spirit and convict you of your sin and you're going to know what salvation's all about. cross becomes an attraction. I'm going to have time to go into all that because Jesus draws. That one act is enough. And by that act, it becomes to us, produces for us abundant grace, the Bible said. He said, for they that have received abundant grace and of the gift of righteousness. And this idea in Romans 5 is all about acts and pardon. It's all about imparted righteousness, what we call about imputed, rather, imputed righteousness. That's the word that's used throughout Romans numerous times, imputed, counted, various ways in which it's translated, reckoned unto us. And so that the Lord imputed righteousness, he reckoned it to our account. There were sins reckoned on our account. And then he saves us. He pardons us. And now there's righteousness on our account. Not anything we've done. No. It's just simply the blood has been covered. This is an important righteousness. If you're a rather an imputed righteousness that comes to us. That basically simply makes us again innocent before the Lord. We now don't have a record of goodness. We don't have any record. We have a record of repentance and faith. Our record at this point simply consists of it on this day. He turned from his sin and placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Woo, glory to God. On this day, he decided to leave his sin, heard the gospel, and he believed the gospel, and I saved him. There's no record of goodness. There's no record of righteous deeds. It's just that your unrighteous deeds have been washed away, and you are now innocent. You are now have a clean slate in the eyes of God. Whoa, glory, isn't that wonderful? It's nothing better than starting out clean. Have you ever had that? I mean, buddy, when you've had a bad time and you've had to get something fixed with your brother and you just kind of get a fresh slate and you say, let's start all over again. You get a marriage that's went sour and you reconcile and you say, you know what? Let's just forget what's gone in the past and let's start all over again. And that's what Jesus said to you. We're going to start all over again. We're going to give you a new day. We're going to give you a new hour. I'm going to give you a new life. You've now got a clean record. Woo! And I'm going to help you do it right. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to help you keep it clean by the power of Jesus Christ and grace reigning in your life. We get this abundant grace that comes to us. That's what he said. Do you see it? It's found in verse 17. We've received abundance of grace and the gift. This is a gift of righteousness. This anything, isn't anything based on your works. This isn't anything you did. It's a gift of righteousness. But again, it's a righteousness in a sense of innocence. And that you are right in the sight of God and that there's no sin on your account. There's nothing about you that God can condemn after he's justified you. Ooh. Oh, to have God look at you and say, 
That's my son. And he's clean in my eyes. He's innocent in my eyes. I find no fault. I find no error. I find no sin. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing. That's the righteousness of Romans chapter 5. And he talks about how, and I mentioned that in verse 20, how that the law came. It didn't fix sin. Sin abounded. The offense abounded. But look, in other words, the law came in and sin got bigger. Sin got more expansive. But you know what? The more sin expanded, the more grace expanded. The more sin abounded, the more grace abounded. Oh, yes. You see, there was sin there. our lives and then we heard some preaching and rejected that and our sin got greater. Law came to us, we rejected law and our sin just began to multiply on top. The more sin began to multiply by the time we got to God it had multiplied and multiplied millions but grace was enough to cover it. Grace was abounding at the same time. Oh glory. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We have received abundant grace. Abundant grace and of the gift of right. Righteousness. And so that this grace reigns now through righteousness. Now, this is justification. This is the righteousness of justification. Romans 5. And it deals with actions, deeds, or the omission of deeds. Whatever record of sin was in your life. Romans chapter 5. And the grace that is received there was enough To pay the price. But now the Lord says, you know what? There's more to this thing. He's just made this statement that where sin abounds, grace abounds. Wow. So Paul wants to head off a possible reply to that. And so folks, when they get their mind turning, they begin to think, well, where grace abounds, sin abounds. If that's the case, let's just keep on sinning so we can keep on receiving grace. Let's just keep on keeping on in the life of rebellion and disobedience so that God can keep pouring grace into our life. Here's Paul's answer to that. He answers it by asking a question. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, he says this. He says, what shall we say then? That's, a, that's referring back to what he's just made a statement. That as sin is abounded, grace is much more abounded. As sin is reigned unto death, grace reigns through righteousness under, under eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? What do we say to all that? He said, well, shall we say this? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The word continues the idea of dwelling a habitual activity, a habitual lifestyle. In other words, Paul said, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Shall we stay here in this path of iniquity and keep building the record of sin so that grace can keep flooding our life? He says, no way, man. The word in in the King James is translated, God forbid. In actuality, the word God is not there. That's simply an old English for saying, I don't have a problem with God forbid except that the literally in the Greek it was more this no way in no manner no 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 not having it in other words Paul said this shall we continue in sin that grace abound no way Jose 
In no manner is that going to be allowed. Woo, that's what the liturgy said. Now, okay, Paul, then we'd like to see how you're going to shut this thing down. I've been used to living under the master of sin for 20 years, 30 years. And buddy, let me tell you an act of pardon ain't going to change all that. I want to know how you're going to shut down this lifestyle. I want to know how you're going to stop this habitual practice of sin. I want to know what God's got to say about that. Tell me some more about grace. Woo, hallelujah. So Paul wants to dig a little deeper into grace. Follow with me now and let's see what he's got to say. He makes, first of all, his premise. And then he will explain how that comes to pass. In verse 2, he says, No way, in no manner. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? They know this well in the Roman world. There is one way you can get shut of a master. There's one way to get rid of a bad master. Well, you can kill the master or you can kill the servant. That's two ways if you will but most of the time they didn't kill the master they just killed the servant either way bud you are free all right you ain't got to answer to them any longer they understood this and Paul said I tell you how this works he said those that have died to sin are no longer living therein should we continue living in sin at grace abound no way man how can you continue living in something that you died to how can something be your master when you died? Oh, yeah. God didn't kill sin. He killed you. Oh, no, sir. He didn't come and kill your lifestyle. He killed the one that was living that lifestyle. Yes, sir. He took that old man and he crucified him. He took that life, you, who you were, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to make you dead to sin. Now, how does this work? It plays out in a very in a principle that is that is present in, in conversion, and then it makes a provision for us to take it a step further beyond pardon, beyond renewal and resurrection. Now, watch very carefully. Listen. So, what's the premise? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're dead to something. You don't live in it. You don't continue in it. Verse 3. Know ye not? Ah, oh, that can always be tough when someone poses that to you. Let me put that to you. Don't you know? Don't you know? Oh, you can just feel the condemnation coming right away. I hate to be ignorant, don't you? Oh, yes. And I more so, I hate it to be discovered. But here we go. You can't learn if it's not. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Now, they understood that because in the early church, we've gotten away from this. It is a sad thing to sure. God help us. 
God, help us. A greater emphasis must be placed upon water baptism. Not because water baptism provides the work, but it provides the imagery of something that's been done. It provides for a pile of preaching to be done right around that action. You see, in the early church, when you converted to Christ, the very first thing, immediato, I mean on the moment, as soon as possible, we say ASAP, A-S-A-P, you went down to the water hole and they baptized you. John came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of repentance. Oh, yes, and he sent him baptized them. He had them right there to Jordan. If they confessed their sin, he took them right down and baptized them. Jesus did the same thing. Though Jesus didn't baptize, his disciples baptized because Jesus was going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Later on it said, and as, and as many as received the word, those that gladly received the word, he said they were baptized. Yeah. What do you mean baptized? He wasn't talking there about the Holy Ghost. They took them down and baptized them in water. When you became a Christian in that early church, you signified it by going down to the river and you did a public testimony. I'm no longer worshiping the gods of the world. I no longer bow in the temple of Diana. I am no longer a worshiper of Artemis. I now recognize also that Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Glory to the Lamb of God. He is the prophet that Moses spoke about. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is the seed of Abraham. And I accept him as Messiah. And I'm telling you on his authority that today I declare I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm a new creature. Dunk you go in the water. And it's said to the world, he's a Christian now. He's no longer a Jew. He's no longer a, 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 a Greek. He's no longer a Hebrew. In that regards, he is now part of the family of God. You got to understand that. That's a powerful thing because that, that was a visible thing. That costs you sometimes your job. It costs you being able to worship maybe in a synagogue. It costs you maybe a marriage. Your husband might divorce you over it. Yes, sir. Happened. Husband might say, I ain't living with you. We're Jews. You're not going to be part of the way. Become part of those Christians. That's how they knew. The way they knew you were a Christian in the world is you got baptized in water. But the message behind that is that you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, which means you've forsaken all other gods. You have no idols now. You do not worship a prophet. You do not praise a prophet. You are not so much now a son of Moses or a son of David. You're a child of the living God. You've recognized Jesus as Jehovah. You've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You've made a Trinitarian avowal. Oh, come on. I'm telling you right here, right now, that today when that took place, it was 
a signification. It was an image. It was a visible demonstration of a spiritual truth and reality that had taken place in your life. You have been baptized into the person of Jesus Christ. This is more than a religion to me. This is more than another set of rules. This is more than just some other way of life. I am now united with God. I have become one with Jesus Christ. I belong to him. I am now a part of him and he is in me and I live in him. I am a Christian. Paul said when that happened and you were baptized into Jesus Christ. Something happened here. Now he's not talking about pardon. He said you were baptized into his death. That water baptism even symbolizes that. When you went under that water, you disappeared. Hello. He picks, keeps on on that thought and he says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. You were baptized into his death and it buried you. You. He didn't say your sins were buried. He says you were buried. He didn't say your transgressions were buried. He said, you. I'm not now dealing, Romans 6 is not now dealing with your transgressions. We're not talking, that's Romans 5, you've been justified. We're talking about now what we're going to do about that old lifestyle. What are we going to do about that habitual sin-filled life that you had? Hey, we can now, we know God has forgiven. We know he's washed away the axe. We know he's taking care of the transgressions. But now what? Do we just go back and keep sinning? Do we keep living where we were and let grace keep Keep coming. No, no, no. That's not it. Let me tell you something more about your salvation. He didn't just pardon you when you got baptized into him. He baptized you into his death. He buried you. Do you hear me? He buried you. Do you hear me? He didn't just bury your sin in the sea of forgetfulness. He buried you on the cross of Jesus Christ. He nailed you there with him. He took you there with him. And you have been buried. Now, why did he bury you? He didn't bury you to leave you there. He buried you so he could resurrect you. Well, Brother Woods, what's so big about that? He kills me and gets me back up. What's so big about it is it he doesn't resurrect you in the same state that you were when he buried you. That's what he says. Look, he said that like as Christ was raised up from the dead... By the glory of the Father. Do you get that? By the glory of the Father. Come back to that in a moment. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, in other words, he says you have been baptized into Christ. That baptized you into his death. When he baptized you into his death, he buried you. He buried you. But then he buried you so that. Because as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Well, let's just talk about that for a moment. Here the emphasis is particularly on the Father being glorified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, glory to God. I'm telling you something. When we look at this, when Jesus was raised from the dead, think about it. I know I'm preaching a hundred times. won't hear you to hear it, uh, hurt you to hear it a hundred and one times. But 
Here on that cross, what a tragic end to a wonderful life. My, the one who opened blind eyes, even if you're born blind, he can open them. The man who has walked on water, the man who speaks the storms and the hush, the man who speaks a word and devils have to flee, the man who tells a man to stretch his arm, do something he can't do, stretches it out and it's made whole. Man that can stick his finger in his ear, in your ears and make you hear. The man that can spit on the ground and make clay and put on your eyes and you go down in a pool of water and wash them and all the way the time you come away seeing the man who has rescued harlots the man who's rescued publicans the man who's brought folks out of the gutter I mean he's turned lives around you never thought Zacchaeus has taken that old stingy that old stingy man who's been robbing and cheating people has taken half of what he had and given to the poor and the other and he's restored what he took fourfold and give away to the poor how did you do that oh what a man never a man spake like this man but then on that dark hour on the cross he dies there's an eclipse of the sun and there's an earthquake but he's gone the voice has fallen silent the hands are no longer touching the voice is no longer preaching the feet are no longer walking the demons aren't being cast out the blinded eyes aren't being opened the water's not walked on the storms are raging and it's went back to the way it was what happened what a tragic end to a wonderful life and how could such a good man have been treated so wicked to die think with me that was horrible and the last thing he's going to say father father into thy hands I commend my spirit Okay, Father, it's all what to, up to you now. <sighs> Set the soldiers at the door of the tomb. Make it as sure as you can. Set you a watch and watch it day and night. Woo, come on. Yes, sir. Oh, the disciples are hidden out. What are we going to do? Where are we going now? He said, go to Galilee. That's what we should. I ain't going to Galilee. Man, I'm telling you, I've never been so upset in all my life. I mean, what are we going to do? We've been out there. We've been shamed. This Jesus we said was Messiah. We said he's king, and he's gone. He's died. He's gone. I don't know if anybody thought to say, well, they said he'd raise the third day. Why don't we believe him? No, no, no. He he has to upbraid them for their unbelief. They don't believe that. Nobody's talking about resurrection. Oh, yes. But bright and early, bright and early on a Sunday morning. Woo, glory. Oh, yes. They came running. They came to the tomb. Some women said, we got to do a better job. We got to at least make sure he had a good burial. Oh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they didn't do a very good job. They're men. What do they know about that stuff? We're going to go and see if we can help a little bit and take some more spices. We're going to go down memory. Lane. We're just going to go see if we can remember those days. Oh, Mary Magdalene, let's at least go and remember the day that he cast seven devils out of you. Oh, let's go down and remember the gracious words that flowed from his lips. But when they got there, they didn't find a tomb that was full. They didn't find a stone that was closed. They found an empty hole in the ground. And the angel said, Whom seek ye? Whom seek ye? I'm looking for my Lord. He he is not here. He is risen. He has risen. 
It won't be to the glory of Pilate. It won't be to the glory of the disciples. It won't be to the glory of Mary. It won't be to the glory of the followers. It won't be to the glory of the Jews or the glory of the Greeks. There's only one that will raise him up, and it's the glory of the Father. When man had pronounced his sentence, God cast the last vote and say, come up out of there. Oh, glory, and I'm going to raise you up to glory. God was honored. God was glorified because this man died in obedience to God, and God raised him up to his own credit and his own glory. But when he raised him up, he didn't raise him up to be Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't raise him up to go back and walk the shores of Galilee. He didn't raise him up to go back and stand again before Pilate in shame. He didn't raise him up to go on the hillside and give a little sermon. He didn't raise him up to go back to the disputing doubting, diseased, depraved, and say, I'm here again. If you need healed, come on. If you need delivered, I'll deliver you. No. He raised him up first of all and gave him a different body. He raised him up and now he's dressed. On the cross when they buried him, he was humiliated, nude. He hung there shamed. They just wrapped him in a cloth. God burnt that up. You can have a shroud of Turin if you want. There was a napkin folded and left. I don't need no shroud of Turin. I don't need no impress upon some kind of piece of cloth. I'd rather have the image, a living image. I'm not going to sit and worry about some dead image. I don't need to visit the tomb. I don't need to go on the hillside. Oh, no, sir. He lives. Glory to the Lamb. Who cares about what he was wrapped in when he died? I'd like to know what he's got when he's alive. Who cares about the spices that Joseph put on? I'd like to smell the aroma of the glory of the Father. Woo, hallelujah. I'd like to smell the perfume of holiness and one who's been raised up from the deadness of the grave. Hallelujah. I don't need something man's done. Just an effort to put some spices on something that's corrupting. His body wasn't corrupting, but they didn't know that. That's all that they did, put spices on something to keep the stink down. That's all man can do. Try to spice his life up a little bit and keep the stink down. Ah, no, sir. That ain't why we go over there. We don't go over there so we can smell some spices of Nicodemus and just not have to, you know, see some corpse or, or something that's become emaciated and shrunken inside the grave clothes. God swallowed all that up. He gave him a new body and a new set of clothes. Woo, glory to God. Well, we got a little glimpse. I don't think it was right there. Mary doesn't describe him as such, but he's clothed down to the foot. I know that. Oh, when he got to glory, he must have got a new set there because John saw him. He's girt about the paps with the golden girdle. His feet are like brass shining in the furnace. His head and his hair are white like wool as white as snow. Oh my. Out of 
his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. And I'm telling you, he is king of kings and lord of lords. Yes, sir. But he raised him up and set him at the right hand. What glory. What glory to the Father. What honor and praise that goes to God. But he raised him up to a new condition. You are no longer just a man walking among men. You are no longer going down and to feel the way of the flesh. Your flesh is now eternal flesh. Your flesh is now glorified flesh. The flesh you've got now will never again feel the pierce of the sword. It'll never feel again the pierce of a nail. It'll never again feel the thorn upon the brow. It'll never again be taken down to be abused. No, your voice will shine out. All power and all authority is given unto you. So how's that come to us? Paul said, let me tell you something about your salvation you had not realized yet. Your glory and your pardon and your sins washed away. But let me tell you something. God didn't come to just take care of your sin. He came to take care of you. He didn't come just to fix your sin. He came to fix you. And he said, I tell you what he did. He baptized you into Christ. That baptized you into his death. That buried you. And he buried you so he could resurrect you. And can I tell you, it's going to be by the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul will talk about it and he'll use this phrase about three times or so. That you should be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Ooh, hallelujah. Yes. He said, you who have the quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, he goes on down to say that you were all of this but God who is rich in mercy. He hath quickened you. Woo, hallelujah. He hath raised you up and made you sit together in heaven and place with Jesus Christ. Oh, he said, by grace are you saved by faith he said not of works as in a man should boast no it's not of your works it's all of the glory of God when God raised you to newness of life he said he raised you up now you're a new man you don't yet have a new body but you got a new heart you don't yet have a new set of clothes but you do have a new mind glory to the Lamb of God and you got a new perspective and that'll give you enough sense to change your clothes go ahead When Christ was resurrected, he was resurrected to a new state. He buried you so he could resurrect you to a new state. You walk in newness of life. Life. Grace reigns unto life. Grace has brought to you such a wonderful identification and union with Christ that he buried you and he resurrected you but he resurrected you to a new state. Whew. Yeah. You're dead to sin. Glory to the Lamb of God. You're dead to sin. Now watch this again. He says that you have now been resurrected. He said that you, if you're planted in the likeness of his death, you're also rather or buried with him in the death. 
You're going to be resurrected so you walk in newness of life. And he, he further explains that using another illustration. He's talked about burial in verse 4 and resurrection as you walk in newness of life. That's resurrection. In verse 5, he uses another illustration and said, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Planted together in the likeness of his death. Woo, glory. That's what it is. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And I want to just read the first part of verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Let's just stop there for a moment and get the picture. He uses two illustrations. He uses, number one, the illustration. It's a human illustration. Whenever you, uh, you kill a man and you bury him. And that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. He was crucified he was killed and he was buried but then God raised him up and when he raised him up he raised him up to a new life principle oh yes he gets a new body Christ does and for him he doesn't go in exactly the same way we're planted in the likeness of his death in the likeness of his resurrection it's not an exact thing I'm crucified with him but I'm not literally taken to a place and nails are drove in my hands and my feet I'm raised up in the likeness of his resurrection. I don't get a glorified body yet. I get that down the road, but it's still a new life. For Jesus, it was a new life. He's no longer the carpenter of Galilee. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He's no longer a peasant. He owns it all. He's no longer just a prophet. He is the chief who sits at the right hand of God. He's no longer just going around and touching a few lives. He now has given authority over everything in the earth. Whether it's in the earth or on the earth, or it don't make any difference where it's at. It's all under his command. There's a new life. And when you're raised up out of the deadness of your sin, you're raised up to new life. This happens in conversion. When you get saved, yes, he forgives you of your sin. But let me tell you what else he did. That faith brought you into union with Christ. And when it brought you into union with Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. All oh, the day you get saved, he buried you. He buried that old man, that man that had sinned, that wife beater, that husband cheater. Yeah, come on. That rebel, that liar, that thief, that drunkard, that alcoholic, that drug addict. Come on, I know what I'm talking about. That hater, that bitter, oh, that uh, uh, immodest, that prostitute. Everything that you were and that lifestyle that you had, he killed it. Oh, glory. He killed it, I'm telling you. He took it out there with him and there. He took that rotting carcass of yours and he hung it out there. My, my, my. He took it into that tomb and he buried it. And I'm going to tell you, he raised me up from my deadness of my sin. And when he raised me up, he didn't raise me up to go back to where I came from. He didn't raise me up to go back to my alcohol or my prostitution or my lying or my cheating. He raised me up so I can walk in newness of life. I get a new life. I get a new life. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I'm now walking in the life of Jesus Christ. 
That's why I'm telling you that the bulk of people today who tell me they've got saved are liars. I'm not being ugly. I'm just telling you when they get up, there's no change. After confession, there's a regression right back to where they were. The lifestyle of habitual sin continues. The desire to live selfish continues. The old ways are still there. The old mind is still alive. The old lifestyle is still real. All they've done is got churchy. All they did is went and turned over a new leaf. All they did is just try to hang out with God's people and think that's going to make me better. I'm just going to go get down there and go to dinner at one of those Christians' house and I'll just kind of stop my cussing. I'll slow up on my drinking. I'll start going to church. I'll be a better man. Hey, buddy, you're still dead in your sins. You're still dead in your sins. You're still lost without God. You can't change yourself. You can't make yourself. It takes the glory of the Father. It takes the glory of the Father. And God's got to save you. And he's going to take you. He's going to kill you. He's going to bury you. He's going to resurrect you. And when you get up after faith and repentance, you're going to say, let's go to the water hole. I want to tell the world. I want to tell the world. I could count my blessings and name them one by one. I'd write a book so everyone could read. I'd start each line with glory and end with praise the Lord. I'd tell how Jesus meets my every need. You'd get out there singing, I'm saved, I'm saved. I'm new, I'm new. Hey, my conscience works again. Woo, glory. I don't seem to want what I used to want. Ah, I can't explain this. I didn't used to love to go to church, but I want to go to church now. I don't understand. Oh, I would ever want to read the Bible. Now I want to see what's in that book. Oh, I couldn't understand. Stand that old preacher up there preaching, and now I'm hanging on every word. Oh, glory. I don't know why I used to love the rock singing. I used to love the country music, but now I like them hymns. Oh, my. I don't want to go back to the concert hall. I want to go to the church house. What is this? How is this possible? I'll tell you by the blood of Jesus, by the abundant grace of God. If you were never made new, you're still old. If you were never changed, you're unchanged. If you were never resurrected, you're dead. Hello. Come on. Our old man now. Now he has to talk about it this way. He's been saying... You were buried with him. And he says, you were planted. Now he's went out to the, to the field. He's went down to the farmer. Jesus had used that illustration in John 12. They came, the Greeks came up for the festival and said we would see Jesus. Philip came. And Jesus, they got some fellows who want to see you out there. He really gave a strange answer. He goes, only says, you know what? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. 
But he said, if it'll die, it'll bring forth fruit. He says, now he's going to plant you. That's what he did. It's the same thing. He just used another illustration. God took you and he planted you in Jesus. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. And I'm telling you why. Because now he wants a harvest from your life. I'll tell you why we can't bring a harvest to life. Because we ain't never went down to be dead to that old man. We ain't never crucified the old life. We can't never bring fruit in the new life. We can't produce joy because we're still living in sin. We can't have love because we're still in sin. We know no peace because we're still in sin. But if you let God plant you, Oh, glory. If you let him bury you in the ground, he'll bring you out and you can bring fruit unto God Almighty. Glory to the Lamb of God. Woo! You're still abiding alone. You need a planter. <laughs> glory to the Lamb of God. You need a barrier. You need somebody who can take you and shove you under the water, shove you in the burial tomb, shove you in the ground, and get rid of your old life and resurrect you unto a new life in Christ Jesus. Your old man, the former you, that may not have as much for some of these youngins, but it's just as real. Their old man, he was old, but in some ways he was still young. And those who lived a while in sin understand. He buried him. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I'd like to. I don't know where y'all are at right now. Someone. Come on. I guess if you need to go home, you can go. I'm going to preach a little longer. Notice, notice what he said. Our old man is crucified with him. Why? Why did he do that? He had something more in mind than just a death and burial and resurrection. Yeah. He's going to push this picture a little further now for us. He's made the picture real clear about us being crucified with Christ and being buried and our old man and old lifestyle is gone. and We're now a new man. He's talking about continuing in sin. If you're a new man, you shouldn't be living in habitual sin. That's the first thing you need. That's why a saved, regenerated, born-again believer cannot expect to continue in sin. Amen. 
if you get up from your supposedly or whatever you want to call it, your conversion, and you want to go back to your sin, you never got saved. Amen. You never died. You're still very much alive, and the old man is still in control. But he said, I'm going to take this a little further. This illustration is more than just the burial of an old life and giving a new life principle. He said, your old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, that you should not serve sin. That Remember back now to Romans chapter 5, that's what he talked about. Sin reigned. If sin reigns, you're serving sin. Okay? Sin reigned. You were serving sin. Well, abundant grace came and forgave me of my sins. So do I keep living in sin to get abundant grace? No, you don't. Because God killed you and he raised you up. But let me tell you something else he did. He killed you so he could destroy the body of death. Now, the word destroy means to disannul or to make void or, or to make of none effect. It means to render basically null and void, deprive it of its force. Hmm. The body of sin. Now, what in the world does that refer to? He's went from talking about me to talking about my body. A particular part of me. It's still a part of who I am. But he talked about the old man. That was me. But now he's talking about my body. And he's talking about the body of sin. Well, I think he gives a little comment about that. Let's go on down a little bit to a first. That's a little bit further. Just hang with me a little bit, folks. Don't lose me here. Going down here. And uh, let's see when he mentions the body again. He mentioned it down in verse 12, and this is what he's referring to. Verse 12. Now, we'll, we'll get to that momentarily. But he said, let not sin therefore reign in your what? Oh, the body of sin. What is the body of sin? That verse defines it. Notice, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let sin reign in your body so that you obey it in the lust thereof. Now go back and hear the language in chapter 6, please, in verse 6. Knowing this old man's crucified with him, what? That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it or that you should serve sin. But he said he came to destroy that body of sin so that you don't serve sin. So what is the body of sin? The body of sin is the body where sin is reigning in the body. That's what it is. That's the commentary that Paul gives. Now he's not talking about the man's heart. He's not talking about the transformation of his inward man. He's not talking about the burial now and the death of his old man and the, and the resurrection of the new life. He now is focusing in on the body. And he is going to now tell him that the same provision that you experience and get in newness of life is going to give you more than you even thought. It's going to give you more than a new life inwardly with a new perspective and, and a new lifestyle. He said it goes further than that. 
and he says, that body of sin, you know where you sinned and sin mastered you and you lived under the reign of sin and, and sin not just mastered your will, not only mastered your heart and, 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 and all that you were inwardly and your desires, but it also had a detrimental effect, an enslaving effect upon your body. Your body became absolutely addicted to it. This isn't that great for, for folks who have young and never gave themselves to sin, but we've seen it numerous times. I'm telling you, particularly in sins of the flesh, adultery and pornography and, and smoking and drugs and drinking and, and, and lust and those things, particularly those sins that, that, that particularly have, are directly involving the body. I'm telling you, when you give yourself to them and you make a lifestyle of them, I'm telling you, buddy, your body will be under the mastery and the dominion of sin. There are even alcoholics. There are many out there that get in that, that, that gross enslavement and they try. I'd like to get out of this. I don't like beating my wife. That's done. That's the last drugs I'm taking. That's the last. And sometimes, sometimes they'll get folks to hold on to them and, and they'll lock them away in a halfway house somewhere. I don't know. Or put them in, a, in some kind of rehab center and, and, and just lock them down. Deprive them. They'll deprive the body of that addiction. They'll deprive them of, of, of satisfying the, the ability to satisfy that desire. After a while, the body and the cravings will begin to leave. After a while, the cravings will leave and... Uh, and the man will say, okay, you know what? He'll, he'll wake up and he'll quit having the shakes and the shivers. And, and, and his body will, will, will no longer wake up craving a cigarette or craving the drugs. And he'll get rid of it. And he'll say, you know, not go back. There's folks that have, 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 have turned away from such things. At least some of the harmful sins of the body. They've quit their drinking. And they've quit their smoking and the chewing and the dipping and, the, and the, some of those things. And some of them, maybe even the pornography. They've, they've gotten rid of it. And, and through support, and they have to constantly be supported over it. Many of them get out of the rehab, and when they because they never had a change of heart, and never had a change of companions. You know what they do? They go right back to the old haunts, and before you know it, all the vows are no good, all the promises are disannulled, and it's now guess what? Oh, I'm going right back down there, and it's back to the rehab again, and it's back to the rehab again, and life becomes a vicious cycle of just trying to get rid of the physical addictions that have come because of your self-centered lifestyle. Now some folks leave it. They don't leave sin, but they leave one addiction. But they just trade it for something else. But they have to leave their old friends. They have to get put in a new environment. But because they're selfish, you know what happens now? They get filled with pride. And they'll tell, I whooped it. You can whoop it. Uh-huh. Now they're filled with pride, self-will. They get harder to win than a man who's bound. And they often trade one addiction for another addiction. And pride will get a hold of your body. So now you become a bodybuilder and you just traded one thing. I'm not against going to the gym, all right? I'm just telling you, if you're doing that out of pride, you're wrong. 
if you're doing that just to show off a body, you're wrong. But if there's, right. there's, there's men who need to do that to keep fit for their jobs, and I commend that. That's all right. Just make sure you keep humble about it. Just make sure when you lose your weight and you're super thin and you're going around like you need to be, and you don't need to pop it out. The only reason you, only reason you lost weight so you can brag about it, you'd have been better off fat and humble than thin and proud. Yeah. Why? Because obesity is easier to overcome than pride. Pride is the hardest thing to overcome. And when you've taken away a man's physical addiction and trade it for the self-esteem that takes the place of it, you have now made it even more difficult to come to God because he's become more entrenched in his humanistic efforts and he's still bound in his sin. You may have delivered him from cigarettes, but you haven't delivered him from self. You haven't delivered him from pride. You haven't delivered him from his lion. No, sir. Now his sins will become respectable. Oh, yes, sir. He'll probably become a politician. <laughs> Glory. Yeah. We'll probably vote for him and make him president of the United States. That's what'll happen. And he'll come up there and, and we'd have been better off if he'd been in drug row than if he'd been in the president of the United States. Yes, sir. I'm telling you that. Because that humanism is still ruling and that human is still guiding and now it isn't just affecting you and your family the whole nation's got to put up with your junk oh come on you think it don't happen yes it does you'll just extend the influence of your self-centered living help me Lord right here I'm telling you right now that body of sin now Paul said we're going to deal with that we're going to kill the old man because we want to do something about also that body where sin is reigning in the body now look what he said for he said for he that is dead is freed from from sin. Here's the, a word freed. The same word is justified in this case. He that's dead is justified, I believe, from sin. That just means this. Paul is saying this. There's one way you can say that sin can have no more claim to you. There's one thing you can do about sin reigning in the body. If we can now kill that body and destroy and disannul that effect there, then sin can no longer have any more claims on the body. Oh, it's got claims. It is now that body's been given to the cigarettes and, uh, and the snuff and, uh, and, and, and all the mess that you had. That body was given to it, but let me tell you, if we can do something about that body, if we can kill that body and destroy that body of sin, then I'm telling you what, uh, we can kill the mastery of sin everywhere so that sin will no longer reign, but grace will reign. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. We're not just going to touch this man on the inside. We're going to affect something in that body. If he needs it, if that body has now come under the dominion of sin, we are going to break that bondage. How? Through death. Verse 8. Oh, I'll close in a minute. Just hang on. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him. That's just restating the principle. He's restating his premise. He's keeping you in focus. That's what I'm doing. Keeping you guys focused, all right? All right, what we're talking about here, we're talking about death and life. And he knows, he said, knowing that Christ, now he goes back to this example, being raised from the dead dieth no more. Woohoo! Oh, did you get that one? He ain't going to take that glorified body and give it to the cross. 
He ain't going to take that resurrected Lord and stand him before Pilate. Next time, Caiaphas, you see him, you'll be bowing at his feet. Next time, Caiaphas, you'll be in his court. He won't be in your court. Next time, Pilate, you won't be on the throne of judgment. He'll be on the throne of judgment. Oh, glory. No, sir, he dieth no more. And can I tell you something? From the day that God saves you, he got rid of that old man. He buried him. He buried him. He shouldn't have to go back and bury him again. He shouldn't have to go back and bury him a third time. There shouldn't be any of this business of getting saved and going back, getting saved and going back, getting saved and going back. If you dead once you don't need to die again glory to the Lamb of God when God kills that old man it ought to be enough leave him alone quit visiting the graveyard quit going back to the old life leave it in the ground buried and forgotten hallelujah oh hallelujah we do an injustice to people who have lived tragic lives. What do you mean, Brother Woods? I've seen people that were in the throes of sin. I'm talking about, buddy, they lived such a rotten, horrible, sinful life. It was so wretched that we're just shocked in their conversion. I'm talking about coming out of witchcraft and and all kinds of abhorrent acts of sin and sexual sin and homosexuality. And man, they just get saved and there's such a complete change. It's wonderful. I mean, you just look at them. The light is there. The love is there. They don't want to go back to the sin. It's beautiful. They become new in Christ Jesus. And we're just sitting there, buddy, if God could save that one, he could save anybody. And we're just rejoicing in God. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's right. But don't go to the next step. Our next step is this. Hey, you need to go around and tell your testimony. Hey, you need to go preach it. Hey, you need to go out there and go tell the world what God's done for you. Hey, that is okay for some people, but it ain't okay for everybody because you know what they do? They're not very strong in Christ. They're not very mature. They haven't taken very long to be discipled. And before you know it, because their testimony is so interesting, it will bring a crowd in and people get saved. But let me tell you what they're doing every day. They're retelling the story of the old man. Every day they're visiting the graveyard. Every day they're going back to what they were. You have enough of that and oh, you'll resurrect that old man and you'll go back to that old lifestyle. You'll glorify that instead of God. You ought to bury it and leave it dead. There can be a time. Oh, glory to the Lamb of God. We are new creatures. I've got a new life in Jesus Christ. Glory to the Lamb of God. He died to die no more. He died once. Leave it alone. A mature Christian at times can bring to remember where God's brought him at and tell a testimony. Yeah. Brother, yeah. I'm telling you, Jesus did it for me, sir. Yeah. He can do it for you. There can come a time that that testimony can be shared, but it ought to be shared sparingly. Woo, glory to the Lamb of God. I'll tell you a greater testimony is a testimony of a young lad who gets raised, raised up in church and saved and can stand before God and before this church 30 years old and say, well, I cannot take any pride in it, but I'm glad to say I never went down that road. I'm glad to say that who he saves, he keeps. Oh, 
Oh, yes. My old life may not have been horrible, but my new life is great. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. I may not can tell you about all the wicked places that I went to, but I can tell you the good places I've been. I can tell you the graciousness of my God. Hallelujah. 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 Watch this. He dies no more. Listen, listen to that last part of verse 9. Death hath no more dominion over him. Ah. He speaks to a literal thing with a spiritual principle. But what, remember now, what's Romans 5 been about? Death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death reigned. Death reigned on beyond that. Now this death had dominion. Death reigned. It had dominion. Oh, glory. Yes, sir. Everyone went the way of the grave. Everybody died. That's the way it was. But now I've not only been raised up to newness of life, but I got a hope. Jesus said, whoever believeth in me shall never die. Glory. Hallelujah. He was raised to die no more. Death has no more dominion. Paul just going back and reiterating a great thing about this salvation. I no longer am under the dominion of death. Oh, but Brother Woods, we're going to bury you one day. That's all right. I'm not dead. <laughs> no, sir, I'm not dead. I'm still alive in the presence of Jesus. I just took a little vacation from my body. Glory to the Lamb of God. I just took a little time off. I took a leave of absence. Glory to the Lamb of God. But I'll visit it again. I'll come back on the day of the resurrection. And I will be raised up. And I will live forevermore. Death, death doesn't reign anymore. Hang with me, I'm almost there. Hang with me. Verse 10. For in that he died. I'll catch this phrase. This is now Paul's. I'm going to make a new point here. For in that he died, he died unto sin. I like this. Once. Mm. Remember now Paul's question he's answering? Shall we continue in sin? He's showing how that the habit, the lifestyle of habitual sin is broken. Number one, it's broken through the crucifixion of the old man. Number two, it's broken through the destruction of the body of sin, but haven't explained all that one yet. All right, watch this. He died unto sin. Now, this is different than him dying for sin. Uh huh. What do you mean he died unto sin? Yeah, he died unto it. I, I said this before, but let me, let me put it here again in this context. When you die, when you talk about something unto something, this was a, a way. It's like a direction that you're going. You go unto something. You head towards it. We reign in life, and grace reigns in us unto life. Sin reigned unto death. That is the trajectory. 
the direction of sin was death. And Jesus didn't just go and offer a sacrifice for sin, dying for sin. This verse declares he died unto sin. Now, Jesus never had in any of a personal disposition or of his own will where he desired sin or gave himself to it. Not in any sense of the inward man doing, but what he did do. What he did do is he gave himself to a process where the Bible said, for he was made to be sin who knew no sin. How is he going to be made to be sin? He's going to be treated as a sinner. I was reading it the other day in John's gospel. It's amazing. It's, it's just beautiful. You look at the life of Jesus, and as, he's, as his ministry is growing and as his miracles are becoming widespread, it's powerful. The anger and the criticism is growing too. Oh, they're so frustrated with him. And they're getting angry by the minute. It brings him down there. And John chapter 8. When we begin John chapter 8. Maybe you won't have to listen to me once today. Just hang in there. We go to John chapter 8. And they, he's in the temple. And they bring a woman. And kind of as you can see him. Throwing her in his midst. And say, ha. The law says. Moses says stoner. What do you say? Don't you think they also dropped some stones there? I don't know that there would have been stones in the temple. And he can't stone her if he don't have a stone. So I can just see him. The law says stoner. What do you say? I got a big rock right here. Yeah, that's a big one. He just stoops down. I wonder if they threw those stones at his feet. And he just wrote down in the ground. Well, you know that story. But he convicts them instead of they convicting him. He's only one witness. He can't condemn the woman. From his humanity standpoint, he wasn't there as a witness, so he can't, he can't condemn her. But as God, he can. But he doesn't because it, it doesn't fit with where he's at right now. He, he said, I'm not going to condemn you. But he didn't make light of her sin. He said, you go and sin no more. You go, but you sin no more. But now he says this. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall have the light of life. And then it begins, ah, you bear witness of yourself. The arguments start back up. Well, they were convicted in their conscience for just a little while. And then Jesus, he goes on to show that he is the I am. And, and then he says down, when the Bible says he says, makes some statements, and the, the Jews, many believed on him, the Bible said. They believed he was God in the flesh. And he said to them Jews, which believed on him, he said, if you continue my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you should know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Now, you better remember that. That's next week's sermon. The truth shall make you free. Ah, we're not in bondage to any man. We don't need freedom. We're not bondage. Whoever commits sin is a servant of sin. He said, the servant doesn't abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm not talking about political enslavement. I'm talking about enslavement to sin. And then he goes on, and they, they fuss back and forth and argue, and, and we're not free. We're Abraham's sons. He said, ah, you're not children of Abraham. You're children of the devil. 
Abraham never tried to kill me. Abraham saw me and he didn't try to kill me. What? You ain't even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, buddy, that was a stall that broke the camel's back right there. You know what they did? They reached down and got a hold of them stones. <laughs> they reached down them stones that were going to use that woman or wanted him to use that woman. They got him. They picked him up. Let's get him, boys. I don't know how he did it. I wish I could have been there. I don't know how he did it, but the Bible said he just walked right on through them. Not yet. Not yet, sinner. Not yet, sin. You will not abuse me. You will not treat me. You will not enslave me. You will not put me down. You won't tie my hands. You won't bind my feet. No, I'll go where I want to go. I'll do what I want to please. I am. I am. Glory to the Lamb of God. I am. And I will not give myself to any of you. Amen. Not one finger. Not one abuse, not one wound will come to Jesus until the crucifixion process. He'll go where he pleases. He'll say what he pleases. He'll heal who he pleases. He'll sleep where he pleases. He'll eat where he pleases. I don't know why you're eating with publicans. I eat where I please, sir. I came to heal. Glory. I came to bend. Yes, sir. If he wants to walk on water, he'll walk on water. If he wants to sleep in a boat, he'll sleep in a boat. If he wants to call the wind, talk to it, he'll come. He'll do whatever he wants to do. Herod's going to get you. You go tell that fox, ah, today, today, I'm going to do cures and tomorrow and the third day. It will not be that a prophet that will, will, will uh, be destroyed outside of Jerusalem. He will not perish outside of Jerusalem. It's amazing. The whole world almost is against him and it doesn't stop him. Until that dreadful night and he goes out and he says, fellas, let's go. He said, now is your time. He said, now is the hour and the power of darkness. Now is the power of darkness. Now sin comes. It begins in his own ranks. And Satan gets one. And he comes and betrays him. And he gets carried before Pilate. No one has struck him up until this point. Now they will smite him. Now they will bind him. What's happening? He has given himself to sin. Sin is now going to bind him. Just like it binds us. It beats us. It takes us down. It abuses us. It kills the body. It enslaves the body. But it couldn't take Jesus until he does it willfully. Oh, yes. And he gives himself. And now... Now they will mock him. Now, and they will lay the cat of nine tails across his back. Now, the soldiers of Herod will put that robe up on him and bind up that blood and then rip it off and rip the wounds open again. Why is he doing this? He who could speak to demons and they flee will say nothing to Pilate. Why is he doing this? He who silenced the mouth of the Pharisees in the temple now is letting them have their way. He who shut the mouth 
scrolls of the, of the scribes and he cast all those money changers out of the temple. Now he is standing in the courtroom and they're smacking him upside the head. They're pulling out his beard. They're spitting on his face. Why? 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 Because he's going to let sin for a while. It's going to have his way. Sin is going to take him up that road. Sin is going to nail him to that cross. Sin is going to bind him. Sin is going to tie his hands. Sin is going to bind his feet. He will be carried to a place and out there be driven. He will be taken. Oh yes, it's under the freedom of his will, but he will still go under the power and the dominion of sin in a sense. But I'm telling you, only once, only once, he died unto sin. Help me, Lord. You'll never do it again. You'll never slap that crown of thorns on again. You'll never drive a nail in those hands again. You'll never stick a spear in that side again. You'll never spit in that face again. Next time you see that face, the eyes of fire will burn you. Oh, yeah. And next time you hear that voice, the sword going out of it will cut your head off. Yeah, the next time you want to lay a hand upon that man and strip him of his garments, you better look on the thigh. He says, King of kings and Lord of lords, you will not touch him. He died under sin. He died under sin. He died under sin. Woo! Glory! Hallelujah! Never again! What did sin do to your body? Sin buffeted his body. Sin ripped his beard out. Sin made his visage marred so it was unrecognizable. Sin cut his back. Sin opened the flow from his side. Sin opened the flow from his hands and his feet. What has sin done to you? Oh, what did the drugs do to you? What did the alcohol do to you? What did the lust do to you? Tell me what it did to that body. Tell me how it tied your hands. Tell me how it tied your feet. Tell me how it bound you up. Tell me how it held you in the throes of death. Tell me how it held you and I'm going to tell you you can die under sin you can die under sin you can die under sin you can say praise God no more no more no more I am free I am free glory So we pull back the sleeve and we see the needles. We see what sin did to you. We see the scars from the brawl, fi- the bar fights you got in. We see your face all pockmarked because of your diet and because of your lifestyle. And you're 45 and you look like you're 75. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. 
sin has taken you on a way of death and it is destroyed and ate away. I'm telling you, you say, how? Lord Jesus, I need you to do more than kill me. Lord, sin has done something in my body. What can be done? What can be done about it? Hey, on the basis that your old man is crucified, that body of sin can be nullified. Glory. He said, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed under sin. To be dead indeed. What do you do by an act of faith? You reach up to God and say, dear God, I take that provision. I am dead. I am dead to sin. I am dead to my addiction. I am dead to the power of drugs. I'm dead to the power of alcohol. I'm dead to the power of pornography. I'm dead to the power of all of the sins. You will no longer bind my body. It is a temple of the Holy Ghost and I will give glory unto God. Woo! Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and give him glory. Once this in the process, and in that he died under sin, he died once. This in the process, this is an experience. Well, oh, I'm glad they got saved. We need to take him now where he can get some help with his alcohol. What? Where are you going to carry him? Oh, we got a good support group down here. Yeah. So let's all go sit down. My name is Fred. I'm alcoholic. I've always been an alcoholic. Oh, that's good help here, buddy. But I haven't taken a drink in three months. Wow, how'd you do that? I've been coming to the support group. Wow, it's nice. Yeah, it was really hard first, but I made it. Christianity ain't self-help. No, 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 no. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, sir, what to do. That same God that washed away your sins, just tell him. Charles was his name. Shelton. Charles Shelton, I think. And neither one rode in his steps. Hello. Huh? Thank you. Charles Shelton. Wrote that interesting story in his steps. And he told a story in there. I'm sure just for the book, but it's happened. Man had come off. He was an alcoholic and he'd gotten saved. I mean, man. He got saved. He quit the bars. And he just... Going, I think he was going to church or going down to the mission or something one day. And the preacher was there. All of a sudden, that man stops. And he looks across the road at that bar, his old haunt. I reckon the church was right across the road from that. Anyway, he looks over there at his old haunting place. Hell felt a pool in that body. 
felt a pool in that flesh. That preacher grabbed him. Let me use this little guy. I'm going to put some pressure on you. He grabbed that fella. He said, listen to me, buddy. It's right here and right now. You better kill that or you're in trouble. He shoved him down right here. Get on your knees right now. Talk to God right now. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Claim that provision. Right. Oh, that heart didn't want him, but that flesh cried out. That flesh said, oh, I just like to have a cold drink. I'm missing a cold drink. The heart's sitting there, and you're in a quandary. The flesh wants a cold booze. And the heart says, ain't no way. Right. You go there, you'll sin. But that flesh is pulling hard. It's used to getting it. It wants it again. Yeah. Just the smell of it revived it. Just the thought of it revived the passion. Oh, but I'm telling you, if you'll say to God, on the grace of Jesus, on the grace of God I am dead to sin I am dead to sin and I live under God I claim my liberty in Christ Jesus he got up Never again will the desire come. Never again. He can walk by bar after bar, and it'll never come again. Why? Because the body of sin was destroyed. The effect of sin, the dominion of sin, had already been broken in the heart, but now God broke it in the body. Glory to the Lamb of God. I'm here to tell you, that's the power of the cross, and it's yours all because of the grace of God. I know I've given you two messages in one. I understand that. I am not going to I'm not going to apologize for it. We're the people of God this morning. But I'd just like to ask you today how many can say I know that freedom. That I can say sin doesn't reign in me and it doesn't rain in my flesh. Oh, Lord. I can tell you the guiding, ruling principle of my life is grace. Hallelujah. Come on. I'm not off in the corner looking at porn. I'm not slipping away somewhere and thinking thoughts. Yes, sir. A woman half naked can walk down the street. I might see her. She might be so weird that for a second it grabs my attention, but it doesn't control my mind. I don't have to sit there and lust. I don't think about it until my body starts doing going haywire, and all of a sudden I can feel the passion. It doesn't happen. Why? Because I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Hallelujah. And whoever is dead is free from sin. Oh.